The most famous person in history is Jesus Christ. And most of us think we have a pretty good idea of who he was and, and we think we you know, know what he was about. But do we really? Maybe we need to think again. So let's talk about it together. We assume we have a pretty good idea of who Jesus was, but we can't even decide how we should depict him. There's always been a lot of different opinions about Jesus, and surprisingly, they always seem to fit into our own view of the world, especially in American Christianity. You know, maybe you've heard, Jesus would be a Republican. No, no, Jesus would vote Democrat. But Jesus was a capitalist. No, he was a socialist. Oh, no, he was a communist. On the January 6th storming of the Capitol, there were Christian flags on the, on the Senate floor. And, and then there were t-shirts that said, I'm a Christian, but not, I'm, I'm a Christian, but a, a love your neighbor kind, not a storm the Capitol kind. But one thing we all know is that Jesus would be on our side, right? We assume Jesus is for what we are for and against what we are against. We assume Jesus looks like us and thinks like us and values what we value and judges what we judge, which is nothing new. People have always assumed they knew who Jesus was and, and what his agenda was. They, they've always assumed that he's lined up with their views and, and their agenda. And so as we go into Palm Sunday this week, I think it's a great reminder and even a great chance to reset our thinking of Jesus because Jesus is the one who decides who he is and what his agenda is. Jesus didn't come to accomplish our agendas. He came to establish his kingdom. And so let's look at this Palm Sunday story, the, the triumphal entry, the day Jesus officially announced that he was assuming the title of Israel's Messiah. This, this event is recorded in all of the biographies of Jesus' life. So we're going to look at a version written by a former tax collector, a former traitor of Israel turned disciple of Jesus, Matthew. Someone who was personally there and experienced this in his own life. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. Bethphage, it was kind of like this uh, suburb of Jerusalem. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, go and get this, this donkey and colt. Uh, there's going to be one tied there. And yeah, maybe that was some miraculous knowledge. Or maybe he just could have like known the guy. They were friends. And the guy said, hey, Jesus, whatever, whenever you need something, let me know. And Jesus is like, I need your animals. But like, what's the deal? Why is Jesus telling his disciples to commit grand theft donkey? Well, it's been part of the plan for quite a while. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. See, this prophecy that they're talking about is mainly from uh, the prophet Zechariah in around 520 BC. And he had promised the coming kingdom of God's Messiah. And so Jesus is actually fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah coming in to Jerusalem. And John, when he records this, John, Jesus' best friend John, says that the disciples didn't really fully get what was happening when it, when it was happening, but when they looked back, they remembered the prophecy of Zechariah and, and they figured out, oh, that's what Jesus was doing. But, like, why is he doing this? Why not just 
walk like everywhere else or even better like if you're coming as god's messiah why not like walk on water to jerusalem or at least get like a, a faster horse something impressive right well when conquering victorious kings in those days would 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 come and they had conquered something or whatever they would come and hold processions coming into their city and they would ride in their chariots or on their war horses right but jesus didn't come to conquer he came to build a different kind of kingdom a kingdom that would be built through his suffering, not his fighting. See, Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring God's peace. And when a king came for peace in those days, he would ride a cult, which was a symbol of peace. See, Jesus' kingdom is based on peace, not conquest. It's peace between God and humanity. It's peace between uh, ourselves, each other, like, like peace between humans. And then peace with, within ourselves, that we can actually look at ourselves in the mirror. That's the kind of peace Jesus came to bring. And so this crowd that's, that's forming kind of has an idea of what's happening, kind of. They know that, you know, this is like Jesus has come. Their king is here, riding into the capital city. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. So this is like a huge parade, a huge party. And the crowd that was there had seen him heal two blind men on the way there. Some of them had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. And so now this miracle worker is officially riding in on the colt, officially claiming to be the Messiah, the promised king the one who is the fulfillment of god's promise to david and and the fulfillment of the promises that god made through the prophets hundreds of years ago and so they go nuts and other translations say they say hosanna which means save now it was this phrase of of praise to god and they say hosanna to the the son of david and it, when mark records this this triumphal entry he has the people saying uh, jesus was in the center of the procession and the people around him were shouting Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. The coming kingdom of our ancestor David. And in Luke, Luke records the exact same thing. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory highest in heaven. And then John records the same event. They shouted, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of of Israel. Hail to the king of Israel. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the coming kingdom. Like, do you see the theme here? They're shouting, the king is here. Our king is here. He is going to establish his. He's going to establish our Jewish kingdom, like before with David. Like, why is this such a big deal? Well, they've been waiting for this for centuries. And in those centuries, they'd been conquered and ruled by the Babylonians, and then by the Persians, and then the Greeks. And now they're under control of the mightiest empire in the world, the Romans. But God had promised to establish his kingdom through one of David's descendants to rescue Israel, to show the world he is the true king. And Jesus is assuming the title to be that Messiah. So these people are expecting Jesus to overthrow the Roman empire, to defeat the Roman legions and kick them out for good. Which, like, if you think about it, that's really weird. It's not like Jesus was this type of warrior 
who was always doing like you know martial arts stuff. He didn't even carry a weapon with him. He didn't have money to pay an army, and he didn't like have his guys out in the wilderness training in battle tactics. No, he had them going and proclaiming the kingdom, like the peace of God, and healing people and stuff. So why do they think Jesus would would lead this army? No, maybe the miracles. Right? Maybe he could make his own army like the dry bones in, in the Old Testament. Maybe, um, you know, they, he would zap all the Romans with lightning. I mean, James and John believed God, Jesus could burn his enemies with fire from heaven. And so you don't really need weapons when, when God can bring fire from heaven, right? And so maybe they're thinking, yeah, these Romans, these evil people are going to burn. They're God's enemies and they're going to burn. See, here's the thing. Our personal agendas often blind us to the real Jesus. Jesus wasn't there to destroy and kill. He was there to lead a revolution. But it was a revolution of the human heart. A revolution where people would love their enemies. Where where they would pray for the good and do good for those that persecuted them. Where people would love their neighbor as themselves. But the people there, they only heard and and saw and perceived what they wanted right they're like hey cool donkey cult jesus uh so it kind of feels like someone i feel like somebody said something about a donkey cult in the prophecies but anywho so uh is it time for the roman blood to flow right is it is it time for some heavenly fire jesus jesus wasn't riding into jerusalem to set up a new government and, and free people from rome he was riding in to announce the kingdom of god had come to free people from the tyranny of self, the tyranny of themselves, to free people from sin and, and death. And they had it really completely wrong. But we shouldn't judge them too harshly because we do the same thing. Think about it. Many say we, we have to stand for Jesus. And, and to stand for Jesus, we have to fight back against this evil culture. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus never commanded his followers to, he never said, hey, you want to follow me? Fight for me. Oh, and make sure you win arguments in my name. And definitely make sure you make laws to force people to act like they follow me, even when they actually don't. Think about it. Why do we want to fight so much? To get what we want. To be happy. To have safety and security. Things Jesus said he only he could truly and fully provide. We say we have to win and we have to get power at all costs to make things right. For Jesus, of course. But Jesus said, don't grab authority like the rest of the world. The greatest of you will be the servant of all. And we call uh, politicians that we don't agree with, or really anyone who disagrees with us. We call them morons. We call them evil. We call them idiots. Because, I mean, they're not on Jesus' side, so they're obviously evil idiots, right? Jesus said, if we hate someone enough to even call them an idiot, we're not actually living in the kingdom of God. We often slap the name Jesus on our own prejudices, preferences, and insecurities. Sometimes you hear Christians say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And some Christians, when they say that, they mean, Jesus, come back as you promised and end the pain in this world and make things right through your love like you said you would. But others, when they say that, they actually mean, Jesus, come back and get rid of and burn these people I disagree with. These people might not be Romans, but the heart is still the same as those people saying, yeah, Jesus, bring your kingdom, get rid of these Romans. In fact, that's why some people make a huge deal about every Christian believing in the eternal hell for unbelievers. 
It seems like they want people to suffer and burn for eternity for disagreeing with them. But Paul said, God doesn't want anyone to perish. So if we're following the true king, then wouldn't we, we wouldn't be praying for people's destruction. We'd be praying for their restoration with their father, God. Anyway, this Jesus parade gets a lot of attention. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They asked the most important question in history. Who is this? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet. And they're not wrong, but they're also not saying enough. They don't fully get it. And so Jesus, the prophet, that's the box they had for him. That's what they could understand. So they put Jesus in the prophet box. We have many boxes for Jesus too, right? We have culture warrior Jesus. We have the, ah, do whatever you want, guys. I just want you to be happy no matter what, Jesus. We have the, hey, you know, I just want you to be comfortable, Jesus. We have the, you know, here's a good philosophy of love for you to agree with, Jesus. Who, but who did Jesus say he was? He said he was the good shepherd. Where, why did he say that? For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd is claiming what God claimed about himself. Jesus also said many times he called himself the son of man, which is kind of confusing unless you've read Daniel. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus claimed to be that son of man. And then he also said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he also said, I and the Father are one. He was very clear on what he thought his identity was. And then what did he say his priorities were? He said, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. He said, I have not come to judge the world, but save it. He said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's not of this world. And he said, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. See, Jesus claimed to be God who had come to bring his children back to himself and to show them what it really means to be human, to love as he loves. Jesus wasn't vague on his identity and his priorities. He doesn't leave us room to slap his name on our own views and values and prejudices. Jesus didn't come to free you from government or from control of others in your life, whatever that might mean to you. He came to free you from the tyranny of self, from those negative feelings, those negative thoughts, those negative actions that drag you down. He came to set you free to love and serve God, to love and serve others. And that is where real joy, real peace, real fulfillment in life is found. And so what do we do? with all this? What do we do with this Jesus that we discover? Well, first we need to ask a question for ourselves. You don't need to tell anybody else, but ask this question. Who do I say Jesus is? And then read what Paul wrote about Jesus in Colossians. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So who do I say Jesus is? Then read what Paul, who Paul said Jesus was. And then ask yourself this. Do I believe what Paul said is true? Do I, is Christ really those things? And you're probably going to come up with one of three responses. The first one, which you're probably the most usual for people watching this, is yes, I believe that. Well, then if you truly believe that that is who Jesus is, I challenge you to pray this. Pray, Jesus, I want to live for your kingdom, not mine. I give up fighting for my way and my wants. I want to rely on you completely and follow your will for my life. Holy Spirit, shape me into a picture of the real Jesus. Pray that and then do it. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you so you can act and live like a citizen of the kingdom of God. Spend time with him. Read a gospel. Pray. Spend time with his people. Practice real love. And do what he said. Pray for your enemies, even the politicians. And don't get sucked into the arguments and the divisions that other kingdoms are trying to force on you. If we think Jesus would support everything our political party supports, it's not Jesus we're following. It's our own preferences and culture and traditions and maybe prejudices. Look, are we going to pretend that Jesus would just agree with everything we agree with? Or are we willing to let our king change us and shape us and mold us into his image? Are we willing to let him renew our hearts to be like his? Are we going to let the news and social media and our anger and our fear shape who we are? Or are we going to let the eternal king of the cosmos shape us? When we try to fit Jesus into our mold, there's no room for him to use the Holy Spirit to shape us into his people. We can try to make Jesus into our image, or we can let him make us into his. Second response might be, do I believe this is true? I don't know. That's a really fair and honest answer. So take a look at the, take a real look into this man who claimed to be God. Again, maybe read one of the gospels this week, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the eyewitness, eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life and, and how he acted and how he talked and who he really was. And then pray this, Jesus, if you are really God, if you are really alive, if you really want a relationship with me and you can actually make a difference in my life, if all that this is saying is true, show me in some way. Maybe it might not be the way you're expecting, but ask him to show you in some way that this is true. If he really wants a relationship with you, ask him to show you. And maybe your th the, the response you have, the third response could be, no, I don't believe this. I'm not buying it. That's fine. But be real. Why don't you buy it? Because you just don't want to, or maybe you heard something on the internet or your friend said something. No, why don't you buy it? Is, a, is it a legitimate objection that actually has to do with Jesus himself? Or is it, you know, something else? Be honest with yourself. Have the courage to be honest with yourself. See, we all assume we know who Jesus was and is. And Jesus says, 
you know, I think I've been very clear about who I say I am. And we all assume we know what Jesus is for and against. And again, he says, you know, I think I've been very clear what my priorities are. He says, your priorities are often comfort and security and power and influence and bigger and better and stronger. But my priorities are trust and love and service and joy and peace and humility and acceptance, what we all call holiness. If Jesus is who he said he is, we have to make a life-changing decision. It's not about what, what I can achieve and, and what I need to control. It's about who I can bring glory to and, and who I can trust. Like, do I want to fight for my own way or do I honestly seek his will in my life all day, every day? Do I display the negative characteristics of someone who's trying to rule their own life? The, the pride and, and the resentment and the anger and the frustration and the impatience and the short fuse and, and the holding people to impossible standards? Or do I display the characteristics of someone who allows Jesus and his Holy Spirit to control my day? Love, care for others, even those whom I disagree with or those who have hurt me. Joy, gentleness, trust, peace, patience, kindness. This is the life change that makes a difference in our families, makes a difference in our communities, and makes a difference in our world. We can either accept him and his Holy Spirit and allow him to change us from the inside out, or we can reject his claim of kingship and keep trying to make Jesus fit into our neat little boxes that just so happen to be the same boxes we forced ourselves into. Jesus invites us to truly know him, to truly follow him, and to truly be changed for eternity through his Holy Spirit. You are invited to a new, real life. Knowing and following the real Jesus transforms how we live in the real world. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, happy Palm Sunday weekend to you. We have a service on April 2nd at 4.30 p.m. Uh, that we'll be celebrating uh, Who is Jesus in person and live if you're in Salem. We'd love to uh, see you there. And then the next weekend for Easter, we're celebrating on Saturday, April 8th for Easter Eve, also at 4.30. Uh, it'll be followed by a potluck and an Easter egg hunt for the kids. So. If you're in Salem, again, that's another opportunity to see us in person. We also have connect groups that meet in person and Youth Connects for middle school and high schoolers that meet on the first and third Sunday of every month. So check out our calendar online for more information about those opportunities. Thanks so much for watching uh, this YouTube video, uh, listening if you're listening on a podcast. Hello and thank you. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. And don't forget we're a 501c3 organization, so you can um, donate using our online web portal if you'd like to keep a good thing going. Uh, have a great week and we'll see you soon.